The Daily Rios for May 24th, 2013. It's a late night feedback Friday on the past two weeks of episodes, which included Tower Episode 8 and 9, New Comics Wednesday, and previews from uh, the May catalog, Marvel Now Report Card Part 6, and the final part, Comics Timeline on the month of May, a Monday Musing excerpt from Samuel Beckett's What, and a What If episode, (laughs) taking clips of various YouTube videos featuring other Peter Rioses out in the world. And it's kind of hilarious how much we all look a little alike. Very scary. All right, so Feedback Friday kicks off with Chris Beckett, who writes in to say about... The previews episode, this is a hell of a good month for comics in previews. End of the Fucking World was the best monthly comic, in my opinion, when it was coming out as minis from Chuck Forsman's Oily Comics imprint. Sin Titulo is equally brilliant, though I haven't read through to the end. Cameron Stewart set up an incredibly engaging story, and I, I have no idea how he could tie it all together. Interested to finally see it completed. The second volume of Greg Rucka and Matt Southworth's Stumptown is also in previews from Oni, which is an updated Rockford Files with a broken female protagonist that is everything I love about Rucka's work. Along with Genius from First Second, there's another book from Stephen T. Siegel and Teddy Christensen, The Red Diary, which is a flip book and looks interesting. Steven Siegel's It's a Bird was a great Vertigo book, so anything these two collaborate on always piques my interest. I believe Red Diary is coming out from Image of All Places, if it hasn't already. It is a flip book. It has a very interesting premise. Uh, In fact, Mr. Phil was telling me about it back at last year's Denver Comic-Con. And speaking of Denver Comic-Con, which is coming next weekend... Uh, I won't be able to go. I think I mentioned that before. I'm not going this year. Decided not to go this year. CGS will actually be there. Um, And it is next weekend. I'm going to be going to Wizard World Philly. That's my trade-off, I guess. I'm taking my girlfriend for the first time to a convention, so that should be interesting. Um, Stan Lee is no longer the VIP guest out at Denver Comic Con, which I think sucks. Because it's, you know, here we are only a few a week away, and he cancels. Um, There was so much worry about his health uh, over this past year, and and he cancels because he has a movie cameo he has to shoot, right? Excelsior, bitches. All right. um, John Griggis from the Donuts and Top Cow podcast, which you can find at topcowproductions.lipson.com. This is about the Marvel Now report card episodes. He says, funny thing, I've really enjoyed the episodes, and I am buying zero Marvel books these days. And I perfectly understand that. I like listening to podcasts who are talking about books that I'm not reading, um, because then it gives me an idea about them. First of all, it gives me an idea if I really want to read them, but it also gives me an uh, you know, kind of a, a loose knowledge of them so that in the larger comic book conversation that happens on Twitter and elsewhere, I can still follow along, uh, even though I haven't read those titles. I can still understand what people are talking about, if they're talking about a certain book or a publisher or something like that. I used to do it with Uncanny X-Cast all the time, 
uh, before the Marvel Now thing, they used to talk about the, the whole entire X-Book line. And the ones I weren't reading, I could keep up with based on what they were talking about. And I, I enjoyed that. So uh, so I get that, John. I get, I get that idea a lot. And, and that's certainly one of the purposes of doing review episodes, is especially something as big as that six months Marvel Now look, um, you know, put out all this information and let you decide, you know, if this is what you want to read, if you think you like it, based on my recommendation or something you hear, not even, not even my opinion, but maybe you hear the premise or a creative team. And somewhere down the road, maybe a trade pops up and you go, oh, this is the one I was kind of interested in, so maybe I'll pick it up. So I have no qualms about someone listening to a review and saying, hey, I don't even read it, but I, I enjoy listening to the episode. That's that's perfectly fine. That's cool. Speaking of that Marvel Now report card episode, I had a question in uh, my discussion of New Avengers by Jonathan Hickman when Black Panther calls the Illuminati and Captain America is with them. And I said, well, where, where did that happen? How did he come to know about the Illuminati? Corin Kroll? who does a whole bunch of podcasts, uh, which you can find at earthsmightiestpodcast.com, uh, wrote a Twitter message and said, Hey, Captain America joined the Illuminati in the second arc of Brian Michael Bendis and John Romita Jr.'s Avengers after battling the Hood for the Infinity Gems. So there you go. That's that's uh, uh, good to know. It actually makes me want to go back and, and read that storyline just to see how it all came together and what was his reaction um, so, yeah. By the way, Corin Crowell's, uh, Twitter handle is, um, well, I guess it would be pronounced the Kroll Call, maybe? To, to rhyme with the Roll Call? Kroll Call? And I like that, and I think he should start his own, um, solo podcast, uh, with that title, because that, uh, that's a nice little twist on a, on a podcast name there. Um, Chris Seifert, who runs ComicBookDB.com, the IMDB of comic books, the IMDb type site for comic books. You should really check that out. Also writes on Twitter, completely agree with uh, your Marvel Now comment about Marvel writers overusing in medias res techniques. I remember noticing it for the first time in the early seasons of The West Wing. Needless to say that by now it's a dead horse. And he's talking about my comment about how there were many Marvel Now titles that would start with a future scene, and then you would jump back to see how you got to that scene. And, and when you're reading one after the other after the other, it kind of gets to pile on and seem too much. So he's agreeing that uh, that that's being overused. So I wrote him and I said, you know, I thought maybe I was being a little too harsh and maybe I was generalizing in that comment, but apparently there's someone else out there that, that also has seen that as well. Chris Beckett again on the Timeline episode says, You spurred some great memories with this episode. Firstly, Christopher Priest, <clears throat> I am working on remedying the fact that I have not read his Black Panther run, or the crew for that matter, which was helped, uh, helped along nicely by Chris at Walpig Comics, where I got a bunch of those books during Super Show. Over at my Tumblr, which is cmbeckett.tumblr.com, I posted about the fact that when he, Christopher Priest was going by his birth name, Jim Owsley, he wrote one of the Spider-Man issues that I fondly remember from my days collecting back in the 80s. It revealed the secret identity of the Rose. 
it was Web of Spider-Man issue 30, and I don't think it gets enough love because it directly preceded the first part of Craven's Last Hunt. Which leads to this question. Have you ever gone back to fondly remembered books and discovered they were written or drawn by a creator whom you've come to appreciate but never realized they wrote or drew that book? It's things like the above that tend to prove the adage that skill wins out, in my mind, plus it's cool to know that you, ha that you had some taste even when you were a pesky kid. I had one of those moments, and it was back when, on CGS, we were interviewing Jerry Conway. And he was a great guest. He was a great interview. He was a great guest. He had some really great stories about the industry and, and comics and Marvel and things like that. But I remember starting out the episode saying that when I was doing research, I didn't realize just how much Jerry Conway was in my comic book collection during the 80s. Now, there were some things I knew. I sort of knew that he was writing Firestorm at the time. I remembered that he was also on JLA, especially during the Detroit era, but I hadn't realized just how long he was on JLA from issue 125 to almost near the end, around the 250 mark. So he had a huge JLA run, and I think many people who remember... Uh, JLA Fondly, the first Justice League of America series, who remember it fondly, probably grew up reading the Jerry Conway run. I was a huge Atari Force fan with Jose Luis Garcia Lopez artwork, and I was madly in love with the Lopez artwork. And then who's the writer? Jerry Conway, at least for the first uh, year or so. And then there were other things like uh, early... Um, uh, early 80s Wonder Woman stuff. Uh, he did the Secret Society of Supervillains series, many issues of that, a Zatanna special. So Jerry Conway would be one of those, uh, to answer your question, Chris. you know, He's definitely one of those creators who, as I look back, I realize, wow, look how much he, he has written that I really enjoyed in the 80s. So there's your answer there. Chris continues his email. He says, Batman the Cult. I really enjoyed this story and have read it a few times since first buying those four issues a quarter century ago. I always re relate the cult with a succession of house ads in DC Comics I was reading in 1988 that led to me buying a series of Prestige and Baxter books that I still remember with great fondness, including V for Vendetta, The Cult, and The Killing Joke. I know there were others, but those are the ones that immediately come to mind. And finally, he writes, uh, Grant Morrison's Animal Man, I distinctly remember the subscription ad in the back of DC Books that announced this series, alongside the New Guardians series spinning out of Millennium. I'd never heard of Morrison. I don't know that I'd heard of Animal Man. I had read the entirety of Millennium, cro Millennium crossovers and all, so obviously I cut the su subscription ad out and sent away for New Guardians. Years later, those books have long since been purged, and Morrison's Animal Man run, the first trade, and the rest in single issues is something I reread every few years. Yeah, I've been meaning to do a great Grant Morrison reread and build that library on up from Animal Man uh, all the way to the present. And I've gotten a hold of some of his earlier stuff uh, from Mr. Phil, actually, before Animal Man. Um, but it is interesting to note uh, and watch his growth through that first Animal Man series, and then eventually Doom Patrol, and, and etc. Um, and I started to take some notes of things in that Animal Man series, ideas and concepts and themes 
that he would play with all the way through his entire 25 years. And it was really interesting to see it from day one, you know, from the first time he dabbled within the DC universe. That was really cool. And I think those Brian Boland covers probably really helped to sell that Animal Man series. I mean, they were just striking, especially that first image. I can see him running with the animals around him. Just a, a great, great cover artist. All right, uh, close to wrapping it up here. Michael asks simply on Twitter, uh, Tumblr actually, uh, says, have you seen Star Trek? And yeah, the answer is yes, I did. I saw it uh, over the weekend. Um, didn't overly love it, didn't overly hate it. Uh, I can understand the criticisms that I've seen about it, but I had a great time seeing it. I was definitely entertained by it. I'm glad I saw it in the movie theater. Uh, it was when I went away and thought about some things that, uh, you know, kind of came apart just a little bit, but I'm not so twisted up about it. It, it, you know, I enjoyed it and, and I'd go see it again and I'll see it again when it's on TV or something like that. You know, I'm not, I'm not so bent up out of shape over some of the things that, um, I've seen online. It's very similar to the DC reboot at times when, when something is presented in an entirely new light, a new development, a new starting point, um, I find some of the comparisons, not all, just some, some of the comparisons to the original, just, I don't know, it just feels too much like weighing the new against the old, when the point was that this is something different, right? And again, I'm not using that to cover all the arguments. There are some arguments that, uh, you know, I, I absolutely agree with, with this movie, but... Um, I guess because of the events of the 2009 Star Trek, it feels like this Star Trek universe isn't going to be about society and humanity. All the things that made Star Trek Star Trek from the 60s onward, right? And maybe if you want to get a little, a little metatextual about it, maybe that's the sacrifice this universe had to make. That it's not about society, that it's not a thinking man's sci-fi drama, and, and that it's something different. And isn't wouldn't that isn't that an interesting story, right? Like if these characters come to learn what was lost, or this universe plays out differently because of events that happened in the two thousand nine movie. There's there's something that could be fun to explore, maybe in novels or elsewhere. I'm not saying that's what it is. I'm not ex making it as an excuse. Just you know, kind of thinking out loud. All to say that you know, yes, go see it on the big screen. I think it's worth it. Uh, my girlfriend isn't a huge Star Trek fan. She never saw any of the uh, early movies, you know, like Star Trek The Motion Picture or Star Trek Wrath of Khan or Star Trek Three, um, uh, The Search for Spock. Maybe some connections to the previous Star Trek universe were lost, but the gravity of the situation of the movie itself still resonated with her. You know, certain revelations... Um, certain emotional moments, it, it worked for her. She liked it. She liked it a lot. Um, for me, they worked on two levels. They worked on the immediate level of the new movie, and they worked on the connections to the past. But because those connections didn't work for her, it wasn't like she felt like she was missing out uh, because the movie still ha uh, played out on its own strengths. So I think, I think those people who are worrying for non-Star Trek fans... 
uh, that sounds weird, who are, who are worrying for non-Star Trek people. Uh, and they're worrying that, oh my God, they're not getting all the iconic Star Trek echoes, so there's no way they can really fully appreciate the movie or enjoy it. No, I, I think they're kind of fine. I think they're doing okay. I think they're getting it. I know they're getting it. And, uh, you know, for that side of things, you know, I think we can back off a little bit about that criticism. If I had to give any kind of tiny little jab, it, for me, it's I'm, I'm a little tired of, and this is in the Star Trek universe, I'm tired of the um, admiral, admiral turned warmonger, you know, that is so evident in so many Star Trek movies and episodes. Um, that little device, plot device, um, I've seen way too much with Star Trek. And I, and I really mean just with Star Trek, not just with anything else, but just with Star Trek. That, uh, that really becomes a, a drawback for me. Um, kind of like with Dark Knight Rises, the second Batman movie, I had this question about the ending, ending <clears throat> wondering if it was possible to, to have steered the movie another way. And suddenly reactions from listeners was, oh my god, you hate the movie. It's like, no, 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 calm thyself. It's just called discussion. I'm just kind of throwing things out there, you know. Don't consider that a review of Star Trek. That's just, you know, my thoughts, because somebody asked, and I, I wasn't really going to do an, a review or anything. You know, that's it. That's really kind of all I had to say about it. By the way, if you if you like <clears throat> indie um, tug at your heart romance movies. I, I watched uh, Like Crazy, who has the actor who plays Chekhov in it, and uh, it was it was good. It was a good movie, and it, it really kind of made you watch and watch this relationship go. Uh, it was pretty good. And I also watched um, Guillermo del Toro's Mama last night. Boy, did that scare the shit out of me! All right, I think that's enough for this episode. My breathing can't take anymore. Uh, by the way, go check out Rookie and the Geek podcast at. Facebook.com slash the rookie and the geek. It's hosted by Daryl Taylor of many podcasts, uh, No Apologies podcast, JK's Happy Hour, uh, the Yeah I Said It podcast, and he's the geek. And the rookie is Amy. And it's about, you know, a comic book geek and someone who's not used to reading comic books at all. So there's two episodes out, and it uh, looks like it should be a pretty fun podcast. Okay, that's it for this week. You can reach me at peter at com or leave a comment on the website. Have a great Memorial Day weekend. I will see you on Monday.